Hello and welcome to The Haunted. I'm Freddie Young. And I'm Vanessa Mitchell. And today we are taking you down a true crime route. So think of this as true crime meets the supernatural. The paranormal, that's uh, how the I've, haunted. That's how I've sold it to everyone that I've spoken to about this episode. So it's, I want to say it's a really well-known location. I don't think it's hugely well-known. I think there's been so many TV shows on it. Um, I wouldn't say it's... I don't know. We don't know, do we? But uh, I know certainly in America, I I would say it's a famous location. It's not Amateurville. No. And it's not the Winchester House. It's Fox Hollow Farm. But this... Me and Freddie have discussed this um, story quite a while. And for me personally, after watching shows on the place for me within ghost stories and the actual content is is literally horrific and it's something we've wanted to do for quite a long time yeah uh, we this is we have discussed this as an episode since we started yeah or very soon after we started so we were just trying to because it's got everything. It's like a serial killer. It has a haunting. It has a, a, a well. I didn't realise a backstory until you know your research, uh, which we've discussed literally in the last fifteen minutes. So there's stuff new to me, and I've watched a lot of shows on this, and I haven't actually seen anything. Um, you know, but the research you've done has, has has educated me a lot more. So I just think this is a this is a really hor- horrible one. It is in a fact, horrible. It's horrible. One. I'm not even going to say it's. And I think maybe we'll horrible, we'll but... issue a trigger warning. Yeah. Um, if the thought of yeah, because it is just horrible. Death, but murderers, just... serial killers, anything like that is distressing and it's really, to you. It, it's really, really sad in some part, you know. And the paranormal you know, is so sad, and I don't know, but it, it's necessary to do it. But I think you know we'll do it, it with absolute it, respect. Of course it's... we will. But I would just say approach with caution. Um, I would like to say probably that most people that are, are have an interest in the paranormal and things like that probably are uh, desensitised to to yeah. things like this. So it's just a lot of the times we do, Freddie. Uh, like Chillingham Castle, we do stuff from history, so um, so it doesn't. It, it's it, yeah. it's hundreds of years ago, but this one it, it, it is is quite recent, and it's just oh, it, I is, don't know. it will it's be just... in living memory for a lot of people. Yeah. So shall we get down? Yes, let's just start. So I'm going to talk for quite a while. Please chime in if you need any clarifications. I know quite a lot now. On the old yeah. Fox Hollow Farm. Uh, but I am going to give you the story, the tale, the the happenings. I know the basic story of what I've watched on the show, the TV shows, and that is enough for me to be horrified, fascinated, but feel really bad about this. But as I said, it's necessary. So, yeah, um, if I need to, because I know you've done lots and lots of research, which I didn't know. So I think let's just... Do it. Let's because, get this. Yeah, get, let's, let's just get. do it. So, we start with the birth of Herbert Baumeister, uh, Herb for short. Yeah. And he was born in Indianapolis on the 7th of April 1947. And 
He was the son of Herbert and Elizabeth Baumeister. Baumeister, sorry. Yeah. Um, he was the um, yeah son of them. So his dad was an anaesthetist. Anaesthetist. So very. Which is actually in the medical world. Um, a very, very serious and well-educated job. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, almost as much so I've heard from medical people as much as a, a surgeon, maybe not as much, but, uh, you know, the anaesthetist, the there's, life and death is in their hands as well as a, a surgeon. a huge amount that goes into um, into this. So, yeah, we, so he, he's not come from a poor gra- background. They're a very prominent family in their area, very well-to-do and are very involved with their local community yes, as well. Yes, of course, yeah. So Herb is the oldest of four children and, by all accounts, lived a very normal and uneventful childhood. Well, that's good, you know. Well, that's... well good for him. Great. Yeah. So so that would tell you he was brought up in the right way. There were no dramas. There were no... Yeah, no know, dramas, no nothing. Uh, a privileged childhood, probably, as his, his father was that. So, yeah, it's a good start in life. Then... As all children do, Herb hit his teens Mm. and things very, very quickly changed. His behaviour was very bizarre and erratic and he was obsessed with death, decay and was notoriously known for picking up dead animals and birds and taking them home and taking them to school as well and he would leave them on his teacher's desks. Yeah, As that's a, not right. Yeah. You know, red flag number one. Absolutely, yeah. Um, during his time in secondary school, high school, he was caught urinating on his teacher's desk as well. Which yeah, again, that's a, that's a, that's a big that's a big fingers up to authority and yeah, and yeah. things like that. So he uh, was he was failing high school, failing all of his classes. He was a massive distraction to everybody else. Something wasn't right. He was very, very troubled. Do we know of the background of his siblings or or um, we'll say they were just normal because if they weren't, we would have heard We'd about have heard that. Yeah, I, so I, I think the general he consensus, was the bad he apple was the bad egg. In, yeah, in bad essence, apple, yeah. bad seed. So the school were having issues with him. The teachers reached out to the parents and said, look, listen, something ain't right here Mm. you need to maybe um think about uh seeking some medical advice for him yeah he was um taken to psychiatric evaluation and he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and multiple personality disorder right okay and these are quite severe diagnoses but he didn't receive any treatment for this why so in the context of it so this would have been during the 60s and the treatment for schizophrenia then was it's quite primitive and it was all the it was the ect so it was electric convulsive therapy and that it wasn't a cure but it was to make him less docile and less likely to lash out and i i suppose his father being in the medical world would have said no thank you no son of mine yeah, yeah So it wasn't like it, the counselling was offered or or probably, you know, was very rare in those days. So they basically said, we need to give him that type of therapy. And his father, rightly so, if 
if it was my son, I'd have, you know, that type of invasive brain. Very invasive. And it alters you permanently. Yeah. It's, it's so I get awful. it why the parents didn't go for that. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, he, he managed to get through school and he'd done reasonably well. I think, you know, once there was a level of understanding of him, maybe, you know, he, he got through. And he had good enough grades to attend Indiana University. He didn't last very long. He had a semester, which I'm assuming is like a term. Yeah, in term a school, in, in England. Yeah, and he he dropped out. His father, however, encouraged him to go back. He did another semester, and dropped out again. So he never completed university, although he had two attempts of. Yeah. So he spent most of his life as an outcast and 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 being the oddball and a bit of a strange person, but he met a young lady. Mm-hmm. and her name was Juliana, but they called her Julie. Yeah. And she was a high school teacher as well as a part-time student at Indiana University, and that is where they met. And they kind of, they clicked right away. They had all the same interests. They was like... Yeah, they just got it. They, they just got, got they it. They got each other, yeah. yeah. And very quickly, they, they married. So in, in November 1971, they got married. Unfortunately, Herb continued to suffer quite badly with his mental illness, but Julie stood by him Yeah. Uh, through, through all of it. But just six months into their marriage, he's, Herb's dad had his son committed to a mental institution. So obviously the, the father knew. And stepped in. Yeah, there was still something wrong and, and stepped in. Because, you know, a woman's love... You know, you can make excuses and excuses, but obviously the the parent in this in this case steps so, in. We because, don't know the backstory yeah, of Julie because, Dewey. And we don't know we don't the personal know, We don't know what drove the she dad. She could have been calling the dad saying, saying listen, I'm listen. really worried here. Because there was obviously, there, there must have yeah. been some... We, we don't know what triggered it. We don't know if there was like a particularly bad event or if it was just a, a, a long stint of just... Of this is not right. This yeah. is not right. But anyway, he spent two months there and Julie waited for him didn't phase her and then they continued their life together he come out well i want to say like reasonably well but as we go on clearly that is not the case Mm. so he managed to uh get a job and he worked at the indianapolis star uh which is like a local newspaper place and he was just a copy boy but he threw himself into his work. He was very driven and hardworking. But unfortunately, he grated on his co-workers and they considered him to be really overbearing and quite irritating. Yeah. And I think he got quite a lot of stick for this. Yeah, okay. And in the end, he got he got fed up of this and he went on and found a new job and he worked at the BMV, which is the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. Okay. Which is probably like our version of the DVLA. Right, okay. It's a bit for a bit of context. Yeah. <clears throat> so he carried on as well. He went in and threw himself into this job. He had a real strong work ethic and eventually he worked himself up to be like a programme director within the BMV. So he had the brain and the mind to be successful in his job. And, 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 the, work, and the work ethic. And the work, work ethic. So he wasn't um, incapable um when he focused he he did he 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 did go to high level so that says something about him yeah as well. so, so he, he reached a certain level but unfortunately as before he was very disliked by his co-workers um mm. and as in this role they considered him to be quite unpredictable and volatile now i don't know if that's because he was in a position of trust and would have overseen people whereas before he was a copy boy and he was under 
Do you know what I mean? So the people th- before think... considered him irritating and, you know, odd. These people are like, he's really... I think probably from, from even just this start, whatever job he would have done, knowing the the backstory of his diagnosis, he would have been volatile, whether he was a, a road sleep, sweeper or whatever. Yeah. So he, he held this job for quite a few years, but eventually in 1985, he was fired because he weed on a letter, which was then sent to the governor of Indiana at the time, mm. um, who was called Robert Orr. Just for so he deliberately weed on a letter because he and yeah. and, and, and they sacked him. Yeah. Okay. Well, we don't know yeah. the context that's, of the letter. Yeah, it that's... might have been a big middle fingers up, you know, f you, yeah. whatever. But he he was sacked from his job, so he's been fired now, and he's in a bit of a downward spiral. So during this time, he's arrested several times, and one of them was his involvement in a hit and run accident whilst drinking and driving. Right. Okay. I don't know a huge lot about it. Um, but I do know that he was... But it's there and it happens, yeah. Yeah, he, he was charged. He'd stolen his friend's car, you know, but he they arrested him, but he managed to get out of any prison time yeah, or anything. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that has any connections with his father or being able to... Being in a position to pay for or good just legal representation. Days, then you did probably, I'm sure, got away with more things. Yeah, oh, yeah, probably. Possibly than now, but yeah. So I I flip back a little bit. So during his time at the BMV, him and his wife had three children. So he had Marie, which is his eldest, and she was born in 1979, Eric in 1981, and Emily in 1984. So. And that's not that. I was still at school then, so we're not talking about a long time ago. It's really not that long ago. This isn't very long ago, yeah. Uh, So. It, it become quite apparent very, very quickly that he was not in the position to, to have a job anytime soon. Yeah. I think um, mixed in with his mental health and his headspace at that time, I, I think it, it was very difficult to navigate finding another role and a, and a position yeah. given his background and work career and, well, of course, and, it would be and cautions from yeah, the yeah, police etc yeah. etc et so he took on the role of full-time dad which i think is quite unusual at the time he was he become a house husband mm. and his wife julie uh started teaching again right now stepping in the role as house husband he completely changed he's he warped into this warm and loving person he was really caring and patient and he enjoyed being with the kids being at home doing so do you think that was his niche then you know to the outside world he, he was a bit of a stranger but within the, the children of his own home he loved them that that was his thing you know he, th- that was his forte in a way to to nurture and yeah love his I, kids, I, I think from all of this you know he the love for his he 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 has a love for his children. He, and from he, and the research you've done, and from what from what we yeah. know, because of course none of us were there, so we have and, to go and, on. And and they had a really joyous upbringing, much like he did. There was no. Have they real... gone on record to say that they had had had? This? One of them have. Yeah. I can't tell you which one, but one of them have been approached by so like he was a, a loving daddy. Yeah, he, and yeah. you know. Yeah. So. Obviously, the children grew up and, you know, his services essentially as as a stay-at-home dad were less and less. And he took up, not a part-time job, but a school hours job Mm. in a thrift store, which is like a charity shop for us. 
And he went in there and he kind of had a bit of an eye and he thought, you know, I can, I can see myself turning this into something and making something like this work for me. Mm. So he, again, threw himself into to the job, worked really hard, concentrated on learning the trade and thought, you know, I'm going to use this as an opportunity yeah. to learn everything I can. Well, he'd done very well, and three years later, in 1988, Herb and Julie took the leap, and they borrowed some money and opened up their own thrift store. Yeah. Called Savalot. Savalot? Savalot. It's spelled S-A-V hyphen A hyphen L-O-T. Savalot. Yeah, or even Savalot. But there's no E. I know, but it could have been a play on words. Well, listen, but I don't like either, that. It, it, either way. So, yeah, he had the mindset to be successful, you know. Shit name. No good at uh, <laughs> <laughs> No good at that. Well. Uh, if I had a thrift store, what would I call it? Freddy's Bargains, probably. Aladdin's Cave. Mm. That's a good one. Right. Well, he called... Anyway, right, he, they've opened up this thrift store, save a lot, save a lot, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, it's a huge success. Huge, huge, huge. And they very, very quickly open a second location, which is equally successful. Now, to give you a kind of idea of how successful this is, they used to give an annual donation of $50,000 to children's charities. What? So you're talking about a mega business. Mega, mega business. Yeah. You know, I get that it's late 80s, early 90s, you know. But even then, back then, that's a huge amount of money. And just to be dealing in people's old shit, well, Jesus, happy days. Good on you, mate. So he obviously had business savvy when he focused on yeah. something that was. He obviously had the brain and to and he, he did he didn't look at it and go well I could have a trade to that and jump straight into it. He spent three years learning the trade, understanding, yeah. doing what he needed to do, went off and done it and done it very very well. So he certainly had a business brain. We know that by correct. Yeah. So they have hit the big time. They've achieved their dreams, achieved their goals, and to celebrate, they purchased. Fox Hollows Farm, which is it is a it's a million dollar home. Yeah, it's it's a huge, huge property. I think it's eleven thousand square feet, maybe more. A it's got big like a, it's property. got it and the grounds that go with it. Yeah, absolutely huge. Yeah. Um, Julie, the wife, has described it as a utopia where the kids could rollerblade Dream, without having yeah, any worries yeah, or anything and, like. Yeah, just run and be wild and be fantastic you know it's it is literally the well the dream like the american dream yeah, do you know what yeah, i mean yeah so on the outside life looked good and life was on the up but this was not the case right. because much like before herb was very difficult to work with and when him and his wife went into business with each other he treated her as an employee and not the co-owner that not she was. Not as an equal partner. Not yeah. as an equal partner. And was very derogatory and demanding and, and again, volatile with her business-wise. And it also makes you wonder what went on at home behind at closed home, doors. At home, behind closed doors. Yeah. So, obviously, understandably, she was in a position with it. But she chose to just lay low and just try to avoid the confrontation like with him. Like she had since they first got together, obviously, by you know, the sounds just, of it. Just let him get on and just and just try her best to muddle yeah. through 
But this being that way only lasts so long. And after a while, their marriage was suffering. Mm. It well, wasn't. It, it wasn't in a good place. And as the years went on, women had more say, and a lot of women thought, "Okay, now I do have a voice, and I am going to express it." So that would have happened th th throughout time as uh -huh. well. So during the summer, of, uh, as time has gone on, uh, she would then take the children, and she would spend long periods away from the home, and she would stay with Herb's mother. Um, she had like a nice house by a lake. And things like that so they would just go there again just so you've got to wonder why yeah to dis distance herself and the kids from him yeah but young herb at the time said you know oh that's fine i'm quite happy to stay at home and look after everything and yeah. do what i need to do but that wasn't really the case because according to his employees he'd become very careless neglectful reckless he wasn't making good business decisions his behaviour was affecting the business. He wasn't turning up to work. He just he, he's, he just wasn't doing it anymore. So he couldn't sustain consistently the, his position. Basically. Yeah. And when he was there, he was rude and, and a not very nice boss. Yeah. And so people's employees started to quit. And, you know, the business was in the gutter mm. by this point. Um, so... Business is down, and he is not paying any interest in the business, but what he is paying an interest into is the pool room at the Fox Hollow Farm. Now, he's spent an untold... The swimming pool room, you mean? Yes. Because in, in England, a pool room is is like a, a small... A billiards. Version of a, 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 yeah, a billiards table, yeah. So, so, so it, like an, an indoor swimming pool. Now, he was meticulous with it, so it was cleaned every day. The bar was fully stocked. but the And this is very weird, and the thought of it makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. He had a variety of mannequins yeah, mannequin, yeah. around the pool room that were all dressed up in all their finest gear and that to make it look like a party was happening. And he just focused on... That's on, weird. On, weird, That's weird, yeah. weird, weird. Red flag number 17 from yeah, old exactly. Herb. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so whilst uh, Julie and the kids are away, he begins to frequent gay bars in downtown Indianapolis. Now, at the time that he was frequenting this bar, these bars, there were some real dark things going on. So around the year that he moved into 1991, Young gay men had been disappearing from downtown Indianapolis and these were men from the ages of 20 up to 46. But all of them were white men and they all are very similar in appearance. They're, mm. all, got, they're all dark haired, you know. Um, a type. A type of person. Now, in... This is over a period of about three years. There's lots of these men disappearing and stuff. So in 1994, there is a man and he is a retired sheriff and he runs a private investigation firm in Indianapolis. And he has been hired by uh, one of these missing men who is uh, a man called Alan. And he was 28 at the time that he had gone missing. So his family. His hired. family. Yeah. He was last seen leaving a gay bar um, in Indianapolis and he was then reported missing early June 1994. So, very like distressed, the family have said, you know, 
Someone needs so someone needs to help, someone needs to find him. Interject here. You being a gay man, um I I know that women, you know, over the years and not a lot of people, you know, that the kind of police effort has gone into over the generations. Do you think, or would you say, I know we're not American, we're English, but there would have been maybe less care or, or, or not as much? One thousand percent. So I, I was, I was going to say this. So obviously at the time, although well within our lifetime, well within our memory, if if a gay man was reported missing, it the police would have gone, well, he's off partying or he's off, you know, yeah, that's what I'm asking. Well, you know, it, it, it would have been completely disregarded if it was, you know, a white man in his forties who was a, you know, worked in local, the city yeah, or something. They'd I mean, have been all over. That it. was due to gay gay prejudice at the time. One hundred percent. And especially in that kind of police community, um, policemen have yeah. notoriously over the years been very unforgiving to the to the LGBT community. Things are, I want to say, better. Um, I think they strive to be better. Are they? I'm not going to listen. I'm not a political podcast. I'm not going to get into it. But hopefully people that listen to it are on our wavelength and are, you know, LGBT Let's face friendly. It, even I know that at that time, and even if it had been, say, uh, an American Indian woman, you know, or something like that, it wouldn't have been taken as much notice of. And we, we can say the same, hopefully, with gay men. So, and that's it is why the I'm case, and, and I think, I... and I think potentially, it still is the case. You know, if a young black woman went missing, would they pay as much attention yeah. to or it? Or if it was if a, woman, a, a yeah. pretty young seventeen-year-old white woman, they wouldn't. I that's agree. A fact. Yeah. Or if if it had been um, a white woman of higher society parents with a bit more standing, they'd be all over it. Yeah, of course yeah. they would. Of course yeah. they would. It's the facts and of life. Get, is it right? That, no. Yeah. But unfortunately, you know, these gay men, these is, gay yeah. men were going missing. They they weren't particularly interested in, in investigating, so these families are seeking um, people to to investigate for them and find out what what's happened with with their child. So, um, so the sheriff is 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 hired by the family of Alan. Um, privately, is this? privately? Yeah, because they're not getting in obviously any 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 no, help no. the right way. So so they're hiring someone personally to try and find their son. Yeah. Very soon after, uh, the mother of another missing boy, uh, I say boy, he's a man, his name's Roger uh, Goodlett, and he's he's 32 years old at the time he goes missing, um, contacts the same person, and her son has gone missing under similar circumstances, last seen leaving a gay bar, but he has gone missing kind of late July 1994. So, you know, a, a month and a bit... 1994? I mean, I was watching Oasis and Nebworth not now. That That's not that long ago. When you really actually think about 1994, I mean, I was, you know, at Nebworth, you know, like I said, watching Oasis. So that isn't, to me, in my mind, that's not very long ago. And to think that this happens only literally a heartbeat away. And I think, is... I think it's, you know, it's a living memory for a lot of people. You know, you can ask probably the majority of the people asking this podcast, what, uh, listening to this podcast, what was you doing in 1994? Most of them could tell us. Yeah. I was um, being birthed. Yeah, you were younger than me, but, you know, 1994 is not that very far away. Anyway, we digress. So the sheriff throws himself into the investigation and tries to uh, investigate the these missing men. And he spends his evening at the bars that they would 
like regulars in and he would interview people that would come and go and they'd put up posters and he soon found out that it wasn't just the two people that had gone missing that he was dealing with nearly a dozen 12 really uh, people that had gone missing but clearly these families either didn't get because at that time as well families were probably not as understanding so a lot of these men ran to the city so if they'd gone missing would their family have even known but it was it's only through him speaking to their friends and things like that that he realized that there's more and more of these people i'm listening to this and i can say and I, i know here in the uk um, the police would have taken more notice. Having said that, America is so much more of a bigger country, like like ridiculously bigger. So I kind of get that it would have been. And I th- I think their their stance on religion as well is much yeah, stricter. It's so different from us. It's, it, yeah, it's, so, it's, it's a very yeah. different culture, and I and I get that, and I understand that. It doesn't make it right, but I understand that. Yeah, yeah. So he is he is quickly and very cleverly put together that this. You know, these are all connected and that he is potentially working here with a serial killer and not just, you know, yeah, well, a couple, a stretch. Of, a couple you, of boys yeah, going missing. Yeah. You know, it's a very small area, small area. Lots of these kind of, they're all similar men. They're all gay. They all go yeah. to the same places. They all look the same. So this, this private investigator, retired sheriff, approaches the police with his evidence and says, look, listen, I've got details of X, Y, Z. They've gone, nah, nah. No, 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 you're wrong. It's not a serial killer. These these men have gone and, you know, they've gone what, what gays do. They go off and party. They've gone missing. They're on a bender. They'll be back soon. Or they've moved on to the next city. Yeah, but, but, but gay men are also human and speak to their families and speak to their mothers and speak to their fathers. So, you know, for them all to go missing with no contact at all, listen, that ain't a gay thing or a straight thing. That's a missing person who doesn't exist anymore. So during... This time that he's investigating, he's been shrugged off by the police. We now change scenery. So forget mm. our private investigator. We are back at Fox Hollow Farm. Right. Now her son, Eric, who is now 13. Right. Is in the woods of Fox Hollow Farm. Mm. And he discovers a human skull. Really? Now he picks this up and he takes it to the house and he shows his mum. And his mum is a little bit like... Well, shocked what, as you yeah, would be. What on earth? What's going on? And said, you need to take me to where you found this. So the pair have gone off and they've gone into the woods and he's he shown out and they find a, a pile of bones and there's enough there to kind of resemble a fully formed human skeleton. Yeah. So Judy then approaches Herb for for this and says what what is that in the woods what is going on and he turns around and goes oh no listen 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 you've got it all wrong that is an old anatomical skeleton um from dad i found it in the garage and i thought i'd bury it in the woods but if you think about it where we live in St. Osith, if we dug up or if someone dug up a human skeleton in the garden, we would know it's from the old days. We wouldn't question our our husband and wife because, you know, stuff like that happens. People are buried over generations. And so if it was me personally in St. Osith, I think, oh, it's an ancient skeleton. Unless you get carbon tested. But then you, but if you did find that, you'd ring the police. Well, of course, that's what you do. You ring the authorities, even, say, even now. Hi, guys, oh, listen. I, because that, that, that's just what you have to do, yeah. Well, anyway, they don't do any of that. 
No, no, no. Right, so that that, that that's where the issue is when you there don't lies the issue. The authorities, yeah. The wife just goes, "Oh, okay, goodness. Well, I wish you'd have told me before we'd had a fright of our lives and spent the afternoon digging for bones in the woods." Having said that, though, Freddie, if he's this man that we think is behind closed doors, if he's convinced her or told her, a lot of women wouldn't argue if there's consequences to be had. Correct. Depending on their relationship behind closed doors. So again, it's not out of the way for her to. Be fearful and not ring, you know. I mean, it's just not with domestic violence and stuff like that. But so, carry on. We jump back now to our private investigator. So, he's thinking, goodness, it's all gone wrong. I'm never, I'm never going to be able to solve this. The police aren't taking me seriously. I've got no, I've not had any real leads until he comes across a man. Now, I can only find this man um, described as a man called Tony Harris. But that's not his real name. Mm. So it is It is a man. Um, what, that's disappeared? No, he's got his own story to tell. Okay. Um, but obviously they've, they've changed his name to protect him. So the I'm private assuming. investigator is looking has, for... Has, has stumbled across this man and has um, been asking questions. And he said, right, well, listen, let me tell you. I've got a story to tell. Okay. So Tony had been friends with Roger Goodlett and he was the one of the uh, men that had gone missing that he was investigating. Right, yeah. And so one evening, while hanging out at the gay bar, he had met a man who introduced himself as Brian Smart. And the two of them had spent most of the night together chatting, having a drink and, and whatever else. Now, Brian then says to Tony, would you like to come back to my boss's house? You know, I'm staying there. I'm doing some work on the house and whatever. Come back. It's huge. We've got a pool and everything. Yeah. Tony's gone. Oh, that's all right. That's a good trade. Let's go back. Well, of course you would. After party with a pool. After yeah. party with a pool. So Brian Smart leads Tony to a car that has an Ohio license plate. Now, because in America, each state has a, 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 yeah, a license, license plate, plate has a, that's has an identifier. Yeah, yeah. So in England, we don't have that. License yeah, places are generic. And, yeah. They're either yellow or white with the numbers. But in America, they have a something yeah, that, that signifies state, it. Yeah. So they had got into that car. They were well, drink driver. I just realised drink drivers. Bad on them. Yeah, bad drink drivers. Um, don't drink and drive, guys. So they drove north, uh, but Tony had had a bit of a hard time to tell where he was going. It was dark. He was drunk. And he didn't really know the area that well. Mm. So they arrived at their location, which is Fox Hollow Farm, about half an hour or so later. And it is, it's a very, very large, stately Tudor style. It's got like the beams and stuff yeah. on, on the outside um, style home. So Brian Smart, well, I say Brian Smart, the man who says he's Brian Smart leads Tony into the pool house. And Tony is instantly like, this is very, very strange. He spots all the mannequins. <laughs> And he's like, no, 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 I really feel quite uncomfortable. But Brian Smart offers him a drink, which he t he turns down. And like, no, 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 it, you know, it's fine, it's okay. He then goes on to ask him if he's ever engaged in erotic asphyxiation before. Mm. And if you haven't, would you like to give it a go? So, you know, he, he was saying, oh, you know, it's great, it's fantastic. Brian Smart, who is old Herb Baumeister, 
had been snorting cocaine. He was going, it's fantastic. It, it, you know, it's it's great. He's been a bit erratic. So Tony not wanting to upset him at this point because he he was a bit he was uncomfortable. He, yeah, he considered he him this. to be quite unpredictable. Agreed to try it. Yeah. So Brian Smart went first. So Tony um, choked him whilst he masturbated. Yeah. They then swapped swapped over. So Tony was then the one to be choked. Yeah. Um, while they did did whatever. But as he's doing that, he could feel the hose getting tighter and tighter and tighter, and he realised that it, this isn't playful anymore. This, this isn't is... just you know nice sex games. This is something a bit more serious. Yeah. But very cleverly, pretended to succumb to, yeah, to yeah. that. Pretended to pass out, and once he did that, he he could feel the hose because um, they did it with a um, piece of hose. He could feel it loosen. Yeah, and he, he laid there for a second and then opened his eyes. And obviously, Brian Smart or Herb or what you ever want to call him was very very shocked. Because he'd thought he'd killed him and was like, oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, Brian Spart obviously didn't want his guest there anymore. And so they got back into the mm. car and he drove Tony back to Indianapolis. And he tried, so... Um, tried so to... what you're saying is Herbert tried to kill him. It didn't kind of work out. And then he's thought... Let's call it, instead of calling him Brian, let's call him Herb for, yeah, for... for the case of this. So we know his suitor's name was Brian, but let's from now on call him Herb. So Herb kind of thought... Right, okay, as it kind of worked, okay, listen, I'm, I'm out now. Let's just... Uh, Let's just try and, like... Get rid of this and, and live to fight another day. Yeah. So he, d he does try and mask this and suggest that they meet up the next week and try the, try the same thing. Yeah. Tony's like, oh, yeah, great, fantastic. Let's let's do it. But he'd say that just to get just, out of the situation. Just to get out. Anyone would, yeah. Um. So anyway, he, he's done that and he's thinking, I don't want the trouble and never really speaks of it again. Just thinks I just I won't yeah, put myself in that position I, I do again. I not want to. Yeah. Mm. Um. Obviously, this PI is convinced this is my man. This is the person that I need to find. So, they then try and find find him. So, the 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 retired sheriff, the private investigator, and and Tony team up and and will go out on stakes stakeouts to try and discover him. No luck for almost a year. They don't find him. And that is until the end of August 1995, where Tony runs into him in a gay bar downtown. And he ran outside and to, to look at the car. It is the same car. He jots down the number plate and gives it to the private investigator. The private investigator has the number plate and traces it and then realises it's not Brian Smart that owns the vehicle. It's Herb. Yeah. So, so there's a hook there. There's a lead there. He's got the lead and he's got it. So he takes it to the police. They take a little bit of notice this time because he's got the backstory. He's got a, a witness. Yeah, he's he's done he's, he's, he's got some work. evidence yeah, there. Yeah. So in November 1995, detectives show up at Fox Hollow Farm asking to to search the property. They haven't got a warrant can I at just, this point. Can I just interject and say? Is this the only basis where this came to light? This this one case. This one, this, yeah. So it's just off the back it's of the. All, the it's PI. all on the work on the private investigator. Okay. No police. So nothing else work. at all. This no. is just this one PI that's done a really good job, and he and uh, eventually gets it. the attention. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 
Um, so yeah, they they turn up at Fox Hollow Farm wanting to search the property, but Herb says no, you're not coming in here, sling your hook, kind of thing. Mm. They then go to Julie and she's at work, and she also said to them, no, you're not coming onto our property, etc., etc. And that's a red flag, isn't it? You know, if you have nothing to hide, come and search. Listen, I've got nothing to hide. So exactly. the fact they're refusing is an issue. Yeah. Um, she then approaches Herb about this and says, why are the police wanting to search our home? Yeah, what's this about? And he says that I, whatever they're accusing me of, it's not me. I'm not guilty. And she just accepts, accepts that. And, and again, on. with, uh, you know, abuse, which we probably don't know, you know, isn't known, but you can imagine indoors, she would probably have had to accept it if that is the case. So now then it's... Uh, there's a detective, and her name is Mary Wilson, and she's quite a good friend of the sheriff, mm. um, who's retired as the private investigator, and she's quite heavily involved with the case at this point, and I think potentially she's the one that is then taking notice, because she works with the, the man called Tony, and she, you know... They know there's put, something up. Yeah. She's pulling some strings, I think. So she understands that she needs to get a warrant to search to search there she you know mm. she she knows that something's up and she mm. so she desperately tries so she goes to hamilton county officials and they refuse her request um because they consider the evidence to be quite flimsy and that she needs more to justify it yeah yeah like the cps in this country you have to have concrete before yeah. before they will go forward yeah so obviously she's got no choice she lets she lets it die down a little bit now we move on a little mm. bit in time. So now we go to June 1996. We're getting closer and closer to like a time that we're all kind of around. It's yeah, scary, yeah. isn't it? Um, June 1996. Now the wife comes to her office. and Who? Herb's wife. Herb's wife approaches the de Detective Wilson um, and says, look, listen, Herb is not in a good way. He's having what she considers to be a nervous breakdown. The business was in complete ruins. She was filing to divorce for divorce and it had all just gone a bit wrong. She then cast her mind back to when she had found the skeleton in in the ground. And thought, hold on a minute. Hold There's on a minute. Something, something, it's not adding up for me. And she tells the um, detective about this. And then she finally gives permission for that detective then to to search the grounds and search the home. There's something in her that's saying, okay, it's right, that, you know. You know, yeah, this isn't yeah. right. So they wait until Herb is away and then Detective Wilson and three other officers arrive at Fox Hollow Farm to carry out the search. It really didn't take them long to find out that it's really not right here because when they started to look closely at the gravel, um, in and around the property, they realised that it wasn't really gravel, it was charred, crushed up bones. Oh my God. And that when forensics took that away, they confirmed that it was yeah, human, human remains. Yeah, yeah. In the following days, so once they'd found that, they then went on to discover over 5,000 bone fragments and teeth on the site. And <sighs> they believe what they know um, belonged to a total of 11 men. However, only eight of them were identified. And they are uh, Roger Goodlett, who was 34 years old, Stephen Howe, who was 26, Richard Hamilton, age 20, Manuel 
Resendez, who was 31, Mike Yearn, who was 46, Johnny Bayer, who was 20 years old, Alan Brassard, 28, and Jeff Jones, 31. There, that's they found a they're the eight men that they were able to identify from, from their yeah. remains. Mm. Obviously, finding that the warrant is then um, put out for Herb's arrest, he very, very quickly uh, catches wind for what is going on, and he's currently staying at his mother's home. He then takes run and flees, and he, he goes, he crosses the border into Canada. So July 3rd, 1996, a group of hikers discover the body of Herb Baumeister in the Pinery Provincial Park in Ontario. He had suffered a single bullet wound to his forehead, um, which belonged to a .357 Magnum revolver. So he'd obviously shot himself. He knew it was coming on top. He knew it was coming. He knew he had no way out, and this is what he'd done. There was a suicide note at the scene, and in that, he spoke about his failed business, impending bankruptcy, upcoming divorce, and he claimed all of them to be the reasons he took his life. Not once did he mention anything about that. Um, interesting to note as well that the scene in which they found him is very odd. There was a collection of dead birds um, arranged around him, and he was kind of like spread, almost like a bird spreading its wings kind of thing. As so well, it, as if it was, um, it was very sacrificial, yeah, in nature. It's very odd. No what none of us will ever know his intentions. Is it dark and satanic? Is he just a man know... on the edge and just completely his mind is warped? I am, I don't know. I know from the deaths that they found him in, it is said to be in some way satanic. Um, but yeah, very, you know, with, with all the stuff around him, I don't know that, you know, there's no smoke without fire, let's just say. Correct. Um, also as well, just to, to add to this story, there is a, um, serial killer that's dubbed as the I-70 Strangler, Strangler, and... Between 1980 and 1990, the bodies of nine young gay men had been dumped along uh, the interstate uh, 70, which is almost like, I don't know, like the A13 for us, A12, like it's, it's yeah, one of them kind of roads. Yeah. And this was in between Indianapolis and Columbus, Ohio. All of these men uh, shared very similar characteristics in terms of age and the looks of the men that were discovered in his property. And as well, they'd all been killed in the same way. They'd all been strangled to death. So it's basically the same profile, the same MO, so in other a, words, what a, they would it, say. Yeah. Essentially. Um, as well, in February 1998, a witness did come forward and um, after seeing a photograph of Herb, and said that he'd recognised him as the man that he had left, that he'd seen leave with Michael Riley, who was one of the men discovered on the I-70. Um, so it is pretty much... Um, guaranteed that it was him. Yeah. Um, also, as well, he and lived. If that's he, in he, you, he, it's he, in you. You don't just all. You know, yeah. it, it's not a stretch to think that that had been going on a long time. Now, obviously, with with such horrific circumstances comes um, some dark energy and 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 you know some trapped souls and absolutely yeah. And now we move on to. The haunting of Fox Hollow Farm. So, 
and this is what you know i've said to you before about this i you know i watch everything on hauntings and and this one in particular is something that's always stuck in my mind from years ago watching it and that's why you know i think we need to do this because although the the, the hauntings although although the backstory we have of hauntings is is in some way limited it's terrifying and when you actually know as you've read out the backstory you, my yeah, you god need, you need I to mean, know it, and understand it, it's, where... it, it, it's horrific and and in some ways the worst possible case of souls not still running and still you know i mean honestly well you have to think as well they only managed to identify eight of them bodies there's there's still three men at least that they haven't identified i mean and... we we need to step take a little step back here and, and said when he um killed all these men he strangled them in the pool so this is the the, the most backstory of it they went in the pool and they were strangled um a lot of them were strangled a lot of them got away and he had to chase them so okay we've said the backstory but the actual killings um of how they died we need to we need to go on to yeah um so you know he didn't just shoot them in the head he didn't, so just they shoot didn't know anything about it it, it, was, it, it, it was it was a process and 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 you're right in saying that they that they believe that quite a few of these men managed to to get away and escape into the grounds yeah, but he you, would he would chase them down yeah, and because you're 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 fighting a, a human being you're probably of the same the, the same you know stamp from and from, from what males. i know about him Some as well he's quite small away. in stature yeah um you know he's not a particularly strong man he's yeah. not like a, a, a so very in, a, in, in lots of cases there was a fight and, and you know these these men were protecting themselves with their life um and it's not like he had guns he wasn't like a, a killer where he shot them all that wasn't the case with him he wanted no, to he do want, it he a... wanted to see the looks in their eyes there's something yeah. very personal about strangling someone yeah um and that's a it's a very particular kind of person that would mm. you know do that because it's, it's not quick it's not quick to strangle someone to death mm. although they might they might pass out to then you have to continue to apply that pressure yeah in order for them to, to so we've, pass we've away, spoken so. about the, the bodies everything but not the actual mode of death um so from what we understand is they were lured into the pool as you first talked about yeah with with the promise of you know a bit a bit well, of a bit of a bit of action you know as it is yeah, as like it is do. and then um <clears throat> strangulation you know it, but we'll, we'll, we'll go on to that but yeah so once the whole investigation and stuff and everything and everything had been wrapped up that the house was stripped of everything and it stood abandoned for many many years um more than a decade and it was it, it spent a lot of time on the market people tried to sell it now, it was sold in May 2009 to a couple called Rob and Vicky Graves, and they're from Indiana, they're locally. It was sold very, very cheaply and a hell of a lot under market value. If you think they paid a million dollars for it in the 80s, they paid, I think, 900 and something mm. thousand dollars in 2009. Yeah. For a property of that size with the grounds that it comes with is a Can huge I just steal. say as well, um, when we were just talking about the backstory of these skeletons, um, there was no obvious cause of death. Their skulls weren't bullet holes, so obviously there was something of the death that wasn't. Yeah. 
discovered by skeletons. Uh-huh. Um, they, Rob and Vicky Graves moved into the house. They did know before they went in, but they thought, you know, but look at what we're getting. It's a fair trade. We're getting a little slice of heaven. Absolutely. And, and if you don't believe to... in it, you know, why wouldn't you? So, you know? so they move in and they have a relatively, you know, okay time to begin with. Mm. And, but things very quickly become apparent that there's, there is something more in the home. So it all begins with Vicky cleaning the house one day. And she is hoovering, but she is hoovering very near a plug socket that the hoover is plugged into. Yeah. So quite clearly, she's not taking it too far. It's not stretching and pulling out of the wall, but something is taking the plug pulling socket out, yeah. plug socket out of the wall, and she'll go back and plug it in, and it will happen again. And she's quite savvy. I've seen interviews and stuff with her. She's not a silly woman. She realizes. That's not okay. Listen, that's just basics. That's women not know, right. you know, everyone knows, man and women, if you're hoovering, you know, if you pull it out, not to do, you know, we know that. So it's not a stretcher. And if it's happening, then it's for a reason. Mm -hmm. So quite soon after this, Vicky then comes home and, you know, Rob's doing some work on the house and he's updating things and stuff. And she goes out to, to check on him, see what he's doing yeah. and stuff. And she looks into the woods because there's woodlands that surround, around, yeah. surround the yeah. property. And she sees the figure of a man in, I see some people describe it as a red T-shirt or a red shirt. Yeah. Either way, a red top. A red top, yeah. And she sees him in the woodlands, but... She only sees him from the waist up. There is nothing legs down. Yeah. She sees him clear as day and she she's watching him. And she that thinks, could be because he hadn't materialised completely when she saw him. Do you know what I, I considered it to be? Potentially that maybe the bottom half of him is still missing in the woods. Maybe that's... Yeah. I mean, know, they there, there's a few options. If there's a few options honest. there. Yeah. She watches that and this, this figure it disappears completely and is not then she can't see it anymore she can't see it. it it's gone um she has a few various things happen while she's in the house footsteps knocks noises you, your generic i say your generic kind of haunting you know your, your textbook but where stuff. you know this isn't something right. isn't right here I have got activity going on. It's it's nothing really dark and malevolent and you know super overtly scary. Yeah, stuff you know, it's yeah, it's yeah. It, you know the controller's gone missing, the doors open when she you know closed it, things like that. Yeah. Um, they run their own business, um, Rob and Vicky, and they have an employee. His name is Joe, and he is in a position where he needs to be closer to work. And they have a, a an a annex, granny annex part. Yeah. It's a big enough house. Listen, they say to him, look, listen, come and move in with us. You take that on. You're closer to work. Bills yeah, are cheaper, whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's all fantastic. He moves in with his dog. Now, listen, night one, first day there, he has the most horrific nightmare uh, where he is being pursued by someone and in his dream he is running for his life desperately desperately he doesn't understand or realize but he's reenacting this 
he is also sprinting through the grounds. But he's asleep. He's in a trance-like, dream-like, sleepwalking yeah. state. And in his dream state, he's running for his life. Through, he's re he's reenacting. Which, let's be honest, is not normal. Um, and the only <coughs> the only reason that he kind of realises that something's not quite right is because he trips, he falls and he hits his head. And then he, he kind of springs out and thinks, well, Jesus, what's, what's happening here? What's yeah, going what on? Yeah, what nightmare. Yeah. And then he kind of recalls the dream and then, he, yeah. and then things start to fall into place. Now, most of the activity in the home is centred around Joe. Yeah. Now, I tried to figure out why this was. Now, my understanding is, is the pool room is, the swimming is pool connected room, yeah. to his part of the property. Oh, right. Okay. So, he is almost like centralised. So, in... that would be a natural escape route to, to run to for a victim. For a victim, correct. And it's also, you know a lot of these people's last moments and things like that. So they are naturally, I would say, the spirits are naturally drawn to this area of, of the property. Yeah, yeah. So, um, again, you know, he, he takes it as it is. He's thinking, you know, people sleepwalk, people, you know, things happen. We Had all have bad dreams. Dream. Yeah, it happens. It's a new property. Whatever else. So anyway, one night he's standing, he's done his day's work, he's in the kitchen, he's doing the washing up. And there is a knock at the door. He goes and looks. There's nobody there. He goes back doing what he's doing. The knocking gets louder and louder and louder. And he thinks, well, hang on. Then the dog starts going. At like, they're like going like there's somebody there, like warning off somebody. Yeah. He goes out and investigates again. Nobody's there. He comes back in, shuts the door, locks the door. And as he turns around, he sees a man standing in his bedroom yeah and he is face to face with this man and he is frozen solid with pure fear and he is staring down this man but he just again just disappears just mm. just fades away now Joseph is starting now to progressively get on more and more higher and higher alert to that there is something I mean, again not quite person right person who's not into this world that is terrifying you're in your own place you're supposed to be secure and then you see a full apparition and trying to process that and understand that it is a lot of work yeah. it is a lot of work so we we move forward a little bit and this is just a couple of days later um he's walking his dog in the grounds because they're quite large grounds aren't they and he sees a, a man in a red shirt watching them from the woods now the dog has seen this and starts running after whatever it is and he's thinking, Jesus. So he starts chasing the dog. He catches up with the dog. He can't see the man anymore, but he catches up with the dog, grabs grabs the dog and thinks, right, come on, we're going. But as he spins and turns, he is face to face with this man in a red shirt. And he is stood there again in complete fear, frozen. But he again, very quickly yeah. notices that there's no bottom half. Yeah. So he knows from that point, right, listen, this, this ain't right. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is not right. Something is going on here. And again, bolts it straight back to the house. But I'm assuming I don't I don't know much about him, but I'm assuming the kind of work that he does and being the man that he is and living with his boss, he ain't going and going, oh, I've seen a man in the woods. Yeah, and I've he's, seen a ghost. He's keep a... he's keeping it to himself, rightly or wrongly, at this point. He continues to live there, and another night comes and another encounter happens. 
So this, at this point, the dog is growling at the front door. Someone is trying to open his door, but it's frantic. The door handle's turning, someone is banging. Yeah, panic. Frantic, panic. it's pure panic at the door. Um, he apprehensively approaches, looks outside to think, oh, Jesus, what's out there? There's nothing really there. So he opens the door, but what he does see is that the door knocker is kind of, is raised. Mm. So it's like, yeah, you know, like mid-knock. You raise it to bang, it's, it's mid- raise it to bang. And as, it, as he's looked at it, the, the knocker is slammed down, a mighty crash. He's gone, fuck this, slams the door, bolts it shut, but it continues. The door handle's going, it's frantic, there's people banging. So he's just seen there's no one there. He yeah. physically sees the door handle raised. He shuts the door. Locks Within it. seconds, it carry it continues. Bang it, bang it. So, so he knows. Yeah, he yeah, knows, yeah. and he, you know, he doesn't know what to do, and he's like edging backwards, and thinking, Jesus, what is going on? And the door, the locked door that he has just locked, swings open, slams open, almighty gust. The wind is spinning and howling, and he thinks, No, I'm off. I'm out. Bolts it out of the door, but as he is running out of his building he turns around and he sees a man chasing him screaming hysterically yeah, yeah. for his life now that is what done it for me what I mean, a terrifying when, when you experience. when you look, look back this is why i was interested in, in in this case more than anything it's from this man's experience um when you see something like that and when you feel it it is absolutely horrifying i mean there is obviously a man with a red top or another one, you know, fight, you know, that, is it residual energy? Is it time replaying himself or, or, or is it a current spirit? Just desperate. I mean, it's, it's them so frantic bad. last So them frantic last moments of so this we, poor guy's we life. We know he has physical thing to smash on the door. Help me, help me, help me. Because if you imagine he was in the pool house He's run to this next door. We know Herb has killed many people. And you could just imagine a young lad or, or, or in his 20s or 30s, I'm in trouble here, and desperately smashing for help. That that energy stays. And it is... Because they know this is, this is it. They know if they don't get help, this is it. This is so it. So they're desperate for help, desperate for help. I mean, it, it's just and horrific. And the, the pure franticness and... You know. Now, don't forget, the backstory is he's been in the pool with the mannequins. Uh, Herbie's tried to strangle him. And now he's found a way to get away. Now he's desperate. Now he's desperate. I mean, it's what is it's such a horrible, horrible... Now, what adds to this, this little bit of the mm. story as well is that I think Joe then starts to really take notice of what is going on and starts to become a bit more in tune with... The paranormal, yeah, he's and, getting it, and, yeah. and and he starts to do his conduct his own research and stuff. So he starts to look into the victims of Herb, and to you know to understand. And as he's looking through the victims and the photos of the victims, well, one flashes up and he's gone. Well, Jesus, that's him. That he is him. Clear as day. Saw, that yeah. is the man that I've seen. You know, and I, it's heart wrenching. I think it's 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 it's. It, it, and I I really hope that it is residual energy and there's not he's not trapped there God, yeah, having to too, yeah, replay it, yeah uh you know and if he is any medium out there just just go and rescue him because you know the, replaying that it you know for his soul if that is the case 
is des that desperate escape is is horrific you know it would be quite interesting to know but potentially that was maybe the anniversary but obviously we don't know the dates that they um would have passed yeah, or, yeah. Or, were, or were killed it potentially you know that it, that's a powerful but I think time if, it, if the energy is that strong that it'll strong. really play itself yeah. not just on an anniversary it'll continue because the energy is that strong like you i hope he, he passed over and that's just res residual energy you know, this case is so horrible. I mean, it is. It's not nice. Um, I th I think potentially that the you know there are more people. But we're there talking than we about anticipate. one man. There there were so many so, young yeah. men that that would have had those same experiences, because um you know there were so many proof of the bodies. He would have done the same profile. That the the same thing. There were so many deaths there. So um, there's been further bones found at the property. So Joe's dog found. A human bone um, on the estate which goes to show to me that there is more than the 11 yeah. and there are more missing gay men you know not discovered yet and I hope that they will endeavour to continue to look mm. for these bodies so they can be laid to rest um, but what they did do is the owner of the property Rob contacted Mary Wilson and she was the the detective that went and done the initial search and yeah. found the bones and stuff and said look listen i need to understand where where have you where have you found these things and everywhere that she went and said well, well we found this here connected to the location there would have been some kind of unexplained activity whether it was the sighting of 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 the man in the red whether it was you know um strange noises cold spots there's every spot there EVPs, was a... lots of evidence. Yeah. i mean the, the thing with this story as well is he was when herb was found he was supposed to have been found maybe in a satanic kind of uh, way and uh, you know and people say herb came back to um to stay on his land and, and carry on and continue that. to torment and, and, and trap maybe and... maybe it was a binding ritual or something yeah. to, to to that location so it, it, it's on it's unsolved really because from what I've seen, limitedly, um, and, and we don't really know, do we? Because it's well, we don't really understand. But he's probably well, this, still there, this, keeping them there. This following activity is what leads people to believe that Herb is still present on the yeah, property. Yeah. So again, poor Joe, victim of this, he was in the pool and cleaning and you know doing maintenance and whatever, and he felt very very cold fingers wrap him around the neck and pull him under the water he managed to to get away and stuff but you know yeah, so herbert so you'd say he's, he's, is still he's, there he's, still he's trying, trying to after death trying to and continue to do that another uh incident as well that is reminiscent of of you know of a killer is Joe again is working at home. He's at the computer, and he can hear like a a, a metal scraping. Mm. And he goes to investigate, and he finds every single one of his knives out of his butcher's block, and they're all laid out in the sink. Now, like I said, he's grown a bit wise to yeah what is going on. So he quickly whips out um a thing and starts recording for evps yeah and he starts asking questions who are you what's your name what do you want and the evp 
very very clearly comes back and says i am the married one mm. now he's done a lot of research on this he knows he understands yeah, he's, he's, he's done the background thinking i need to not yeah. one of the victims discovered on the property was married no well that's herb is the herb was the only male connected to that property that is deceased that was married mm. so that quite a lot of people believe is the voice of herb, herb baumeister yeah. Yeah. well it makes sense um as well um watching some documentaries and you know people's investigations there i get some fantastic and i've never seen anything like it really but uh, some paranormal investigators have got images of faces in yeah. the water of the pool mm. they are scary i'll see if i can try and find where i saw them and post them you know the evidence that has been coming from that place since is unreal um people are, have been attacked there very often you know like i say again i go with that word generic but you know the footsteps the bangs the yeah. noises the shadows the, the whispers the, it it, it does not yeah. stop there is more than one restless spirit there and it's a very very dark dark place i mean if you think about it the amount of young men and older men he killed there that only we know about and of course there's others we don't know about they're still finding bones in the woods now you know the energy in that place must be thick and black and just you know i can't even but it's, it's one of these cases freddie you know you know me i i i get a lot of this stuff but this particular case i i just and i always have been since i first understood it years and years and years ago many years ago it just gets me and i'm still kind of at loss for words for for the horrifying i think you know. i think as the as well it's it, the nature in which he killed them it's not a bullet to the brain you know there's not yeah there is the as he's doing it they are looking in his eyes and they know listen this is it this is this is how i i'm going to die now and off the back of of the of the cases since that have spoke about the haunting since that residue you know that fear that fear i'm trying to escape you know i can only imagine trying to escape trying to escape and that is now, the general consensus across the board is that there is just a sense of dread foreboding fear you know and it's overwhelming and it's very yeah. very prevalent um the house and the grounds are no longer inhabited by a family. All right. It is exclusively um, used and rented out now to uh, paranormal groups right, and okay. true crime tours and things like that. It's um, it's now a, that kind of property. But I th I don't them that ground now will never be the same. The property will never be you the can't same. Can't take away that much um distress and emotional trauma you you can't cleanse that i mean I, I don't know if people can but i think it'd be extremely hard to get that amount of deaths that amount of emotional trauma um through multiple multiple souls that are running for their life and they aren't you know the only ones we know about i don't know um i actively there were some really great kind of documentaries programs and you know a lot of um paranormal kind of investigation yeah, programs. Like, i'm pretty yeah. sure ghost adventures even go there yeah i think so yeah you know find one give it a watch you know there's a really famous documentary and i think that's probably what 
put it in the in the public light it's it's pretty good it's worth a watch but i want to say a great location it's not a great location is it it's incredibly sad yeah it's really sad this one particular i mean i know we talk about a lot of stuff and but this one is just is it's there's so many deaths of of young innocent men and and i'm not saying that women and children aren't just as sad but just this one there was so many and there was so so much fear and i know there is in lots of these but just i, th I think the evidence we have for this one um is just one really particular one that stands out in my mind it's it's definitely a location that we both have on our wish lists yeah I rightly mean, or wrongly yeah we discussed it we'd love to go it wouldn't be a pleasant experience. Yeah, we'd love to I go. Would like... we like it while we was there? No. No. But I think it's just one of them locations that... It's a holy grail of paranormal locations. What I'd like to do is get some really, really good... Um, Equipment. Crossover. Stuff. Well, no, crossover mediums oh, okay. to just, just go and help them all. But, you know, that, that would take a long time. That wouldn't be an easy job at all. No. So, uh, this, that was pretty heavy this week, guys. A pretty heavy one. But yeah, we, we don't normally do heavy ones, but this one's particularly... And we don't normally kind of venture into the true crime world, so hopefully we didn't butcher it, and hopefully you have enjoyed it. Mm. As always, guys, you know, please, if you've, in, if you've enjoyed us, tell your friends, tell your families, tell your co-workers, share it on your social media, get the word out there, help us spread the word and help us grow. Um, please, as well, if you could, you know, rate us on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Yeah, and and I think I think you know we'll we'll leave it there. But please as well follow the our social medias. I'll put it all in the episode description. But yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed this episode, and we'll be with you next week. And hopefully, um, it's not so depressing. Mm. Hopefully we could maybe I'll try and find something a bit light-hearted. Well, I think next week we've got Salem, haven't we, with our historian? Is it next week? Yeah. Next week we have Salem with our historian, so we go. Well, back listen, to well, that's it. That's, that's also depressing, episode. isn't it? Yeah. That's also depressing. Well, goodness, guys, we're going Salem. back to history next week. To, to you know, to I don't think it is next class. week. It's not next week. It's the week after. We've got a guest on next week. Oh, well, you've changed that then, because our historian's ready for next week. Anyway, listen. Either way, we will get you a, a blinding episode next week. We've got a guest on next week. Uh, he is a man of the cloth. Okay. Oh, this is what you texted me about. So this yes. is a new, yeah. We've got a, um, a clergyman joining us to discuss um, religion and how that connects with the paranormal and his views on things. He's a very uh, forward think, thinking. Yeah, I think he's part spiritualist, part part Christian. So so he's... I, I think... no, he's no, he's not Christian. He... I can't remember it off the top of my head. But... A very, very interesting man, a very knowledgeable man. Certainly someone we want to interview. And it listen, way. it's going to be food for thought next week. I don't think we really understand who he is until he comes on, do we? No, I think he needs to explain his own position. Yes, but it is going to be food for thought. It's going to be, you know, if you put it on in the front room, there's going to be a debate amongst you all. So it's stay tuned. It's a thinker. It's a thinker. Stay tuned. Thank you, as always, for your love support and just for listening and we'll speak to you next week ciao for now bye